0: Uh, the vision between chapter 2 and chapter 7 has appeared of about 50 years. Daniel was about 17 years old when he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2, but he was about 62 years old whenever he uh, had the vision of his own that was, uh, that was in chapter 7. And then chapter 8 is about two years after chapter 7, in which Daniel, not about, it was, the Bible tells us that in, in the Scriptures, uh, more or less, and uh, he was, uh, at that, that time, he was about 64 or whatever. And so Daniel then began to uh, have experiences with God from here on out through the rest of his life. Daniel lived to be right around 89 years old, 90 years old, right in through there. We don't know exactly how old he lived, but we do know he lived to be 89 years old at least. We know that by him being alive when certain kings were on the throne in whatever year, that said in the year. In, such and such a year of such and such a king. Uh, this happened with Daniel and so forth. And we know by that, that what date that was with that king. So we know that Daniel lived to be pretty much up in the senior years. And uh, during that period of time, most of the time that he was in Babylon, the children of Israel were in captivity by the Babylonians. And uh, they were captured by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon and uh, taken over to Babylon, he and 10,000 of the young people were taken over to Babylon whenever uh, they were just teenagers. And there they were kept in captivity in 606 BC. And then in a few years later, Nebuchadnezzar went back. uh, He uh, captured Jerusalem again, straightened it all out, said, pay your taxes, and he went back to Babylon. And then the third time he came in 588 BC, and this time he was really mad, Nebuchadnezzar, and he was furious, and this time he destroyed the city of Jerusalem, burned it to the ground, and destroyed the temple of Solomon, burned it to the ground. And in doing so, he took everything out of the temple that was of value—gold and silver, especially the goblets, the vessels of the vessels of different way they used them in the temple, and so forth. Uh, they were things that you, they were vessels you drink out of, and so forth. They were used by the priests and so forth in the temple under Solomon they were taken back to Babylon and, they, and he put them in the temple of his own God who was Baal, uh, Baal B-E-L, same as B-A-A-L. That's talked about, spoken of sometime uh, with the, uh, some of the Canaanites, but uh, he was, that was their, their God and so he put it in the temple of his own God. In time, Nebuchadnezzar became a believer in God, not that he was converted to Judaism, But he became a believer in God because of Daniel and the three Hebrew children. He threw, you know, the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. One time he got mad at them. And when he saw what happened, he just, he changed his whole heart. He says, God is with you guys. I, I don't know. And he knew that God was with Daniel because Daniel interpreted that dream when no one else could and told him what that dream meant and what it represented. So Nebuchadnezzar came to understand that the God of Israel was the great God. Now, he never, dis- he never dismissed his own God, still had his own temple, his own God, and I'm sure he gave allegiance to that and so forth, but he began to believe that there was a God of the Jews that was a superior God, that was the God of gods, as he would talk about it. Uh, it's interesting to note, too, that uh, in the Jewish language, in Hebrew, that the word God is Elohim, where in other languages it's El or Al, or El, El or whatever. But in Hebrew, it was Elohim, which means that he is not just God, but he is the God of gods. Or he's the God over all gods. Or he's the God over all things. And uh, so the very name or very word for God in Hebrew implies that the, that, that the Hebrew God is God over all. Uh, on top of all of that, of course, was the uh, was the name that God gave to Moses that his name should be called. Uh, we 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 call it Jehovah, but originally it was the I Am, which means the all present God, the every everywhere God, all present God, all time God. Never was there a time He was not. Never shall there be a time He shall not be, and so forth. And so this was the ever present God. And so all of these uh, names of the God of the Hebrews. Nebuchadnezzar came to realize that this was God, and he honored that. When Nebuchadnezzar was up in about 50 years old, uh, he got all high minded and lifted up in himself. Nebuchadnezzar, I'm talking about that, king of Babylon, got all high minded and lifted up in himself. And the Lord said, Because you're that, I am going to put you seven years, make you insane. And and Daniel went before him and told him what was going to happen. Because he had a dream and he said, I don't know what the dream means, Daniel said, This is what the dream means. You're going to be insane and you're going to be like an ox. You'll eat grass like an ox out in the fields, and you won't know right from left and for seven years. They call it seven times. A time is a year. Times is plural is usually two years, but if it says a number there, six six times, seven times, it means years. So Nebuchadnezzar was uh, he was predicted to be insane for seven years, and he was. And then, of course, Daniel had prophesied too to, to Nebuchadnezzar. When that's over with, God will restore you because God wants you to know that he is the one who is in charge of all things. Nothing is above him. Now I want you to take a moment and uh, look in, in, in chapter four, I believe it is, uh, <clears throat> in, in the book of Daniel. I'm going to have you go to chapter five in just a few moments. But I want you to go to chapter 4, and uh, I want you to see what happened whenever he came out of this insanity condition, Nebuchadnezzar I'm talking about. This is all during Daniel's life living in Babylon under, under Nebuchadnezzar as a king. He actually was a king for about 43 years. And uh, this is what it says here in this one verse of Scripture, and it says it about four, about four times. And it says here in Daniel chapter 4, in verse 17, I'm reading these verses. This manner is by the decree of the watchers and the demand of the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men. Notice that. God, God was saying to Daniel, and Daniel was telling Nebuchadnezzar, God wants you to understand he rules in the kingdom of men. And he goes on to say, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the basest of men. He'll take the lowest, sorriest people if he wants to and make them to be king over a, you know, a multitude of people or make them to be an emperor whatever. It says the same thing in verse uh, 25 of that same chapter, chapter 4. I'm skipping way down to verse 25, of a very long verse. And if you look down where it says, High ruleth or till thou knowest that. We'll pick up the word till. Way down close to the third line from the bottom. Till thou knowest that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And the same thing in verse 32. Again, verse 32 is a very long verse. and, uh, And it goes on to say here, if you look at seven times, can you see the word seven times? Seven times shall pass over thee until... Thou knowest that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. So, this is what Nebuchadnezzar came to the realization of God is in control. So, when he got his sanity back, Nebuchadnezzar was a respecter of God. He was a respecter of Israel. He respected these people, he respected their faith, he respected their beliefs, and he became very gentle toward the Jews in this respect. Now, whenever he died, of course, things began to change. He had one son that took the throne. He ruled for a while, then another son took the throne. He ruled for a while, then a third son took the throne. He ruled for a while. And then that son's, uh, that, that uh, brother's son took another, he took the throne, and his name was Belshazzar. And it's in the reign of Belshazzar that God began to show Daniel things. For instance, it was in the first year of Belshazzar, chapter 7, that God said, I'm going to show you all these beasts that came up out of the sea. And they represent these empires. Now, all of this was about the Gentile empires that would rise and fall. Uh, if you remember, in that second chapter, he showed him a, an image of a man which Daniel interpreted. I'm just referring to this because I know that we've taught it and you, you already know about it. Uh, let me see if I can get us further. here. Okay. And if you'll notice here, it says that there was a head of gold, chest of silver, uh, valley of brass, and legs of iron, and then feet of iron and clay. And then it went on to give us interpretations of this or understanding of it, that the Babylonians was the head of gold. In fact, uh, Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar, thou art the head of gold. And then after him would come another empire. We know from history that it was the media Persian empire that rose, and also from the scriptures as well. The Grecian Empire overthrew the Media Persian Empire in time, which happened in 330 uh, BC, and they became in, in reign. And then they Rome overthrew the Grecian Empire, and now we're down here in the very end of time, in which the, uh, the iron is mixed with clay, and we're actually down into the toes of this image. This is the time of the Gentiles, in which God has ordained the Gentiles to be in control. Uh, from that time on, they would be in control of. Of Israel and would be in control of the Jews as a whole and then also it would be a time that God would deal with the Gentiles that started when Christ came and he would deal with the Jew deal with the Gentiles rather and bring out of them a people for his name's sake and so forth and I won't go into detail but there's a lot of scripture that bears all of that out the point I want to bring out to you here is that the Lord of course knew all of these things in advance now I want to go to this part about the grandson, Belshazzar, and I mentioned this to you last week because Belshazzar was the grandson who took the throne and uh, he was a little bit arrogant, and I'm going to read these verses to you here. Now, uh, fasten your seatbelt, hang on with me. I'm going to chapter 5 here of, uh, of Daniel, and I want you to look at verse 1 with me. Verse 1. Remember, it was in Belshazzar's reign, short reign, that God began to show Daniel some things that were coming to pass about these empires and how that one would follow the other. And to be honest with you, when you come to Belshazzar, you're coming close to the end of that Babylonian empire. And uh, in other words, this, the head here, and we're fixing to move in then into this chest part here that is mentioned there. And of course, the seventh chapter shows these same empires, but it shows them in the form of beasts. Or animals that come up out of the sea. I won't get into that right now. Look at chapter 5 and verse 1. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Now, here he was. He was a great, powerful, powerful king. And he's been handed from his grandfather to his uncles and uncles and uncles. And then finally to his dad and then finally to himself. And and Belshazzar was just really, he was just really felt like he was something else. And uh, it says here, Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father or grandfather, the word father is used in place of grand or great, or great-greater and all that. The great and great-greats not used in the scriptures. It always just as fathers or fathers. It says, uh taken out of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines may drink therein. Now he's saying, you know what? I think we're going to take those, gold, those golden vessels and those goblets and those cups and all those gold and silver objects that was brought out of that temple in Jerusalem by my grandfather many years ago and it was really about 70 years ago that all happened 70 I'm going to bring that and we're going to drink out of it and he knew that those things had been dedicated to the God of Israel but this man had lost his respect for the God of the Jews or the God of Israel since his grandfather had said this is the God that's over all God's and he grew up hearing that, but now he had changed his mind and his attitude, and he was getting bold and cocky and high-minded in himself. He was being lifted up with his pride, and he had all of these lords, a thousand of them. These were people that ran different parts of his kingdom for him. He had brought them all in, and now they were going to do all of this. And he said, let's bring in those those uh, those cups and, and those vessels that are in our temple that we brought from Jerusalem that was dedicated to the temple of their Jehovah God. And verse 3, Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines drank in them. Okay, And this is what it says here in verse 4. Now look at this closely. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and the gods and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and stone. Now look at verse five. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed. Now, when God begins to move, I don't care how mighty and arrogant and high-minded and how smart and tough and everything else we think we are, folks. When God moves, he moves mightily and he can do it in such a simple, mild, little way or he can do it in a great way. The point is, you and I should never get high-minded and arrogant with God. There is a lesson here that we all need to know because This is what Satan will tempt you and I with. It's called the pride of life, and that's what he—that's what he works on. People who get away from God, next thing you know, they think there's some—they think there's something, they think there's somebody. They think they're especially if they get boosted up in the world. If there's some kind of a singer, or if there's some kind of a, of a, of a, uh, I don't know, movie actor, and they get to be, you know, they oh, they think they're next to God, and everything. And then something like bang happens. They wonder what happened. You know, the rug was pulled out from under us. The truth is that God is always God. He's always in control. And we're always flesh and our breath is in our nostrils. I use that term because Daniel told Belshazzar that before we got through with him. Your breath is in your nostrils. In other words, you, you got one breath at a time. God gives it to you. Amen. You know, he doesn't owe you anything. You owe him everything. But anyhow, he got all lifted up, pride never came. Here's what happened to him in verse five. In the same hour came forth figures of man's hand and wrote against the plaster, over on the plaster. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loose, and his knees smote one against the other. That means his knee knocked in time. He was standing there and his knees were shaking and they were knocking together. And it says his knees smote one again. Everybody understand that language? It's sort of old English, but it, it works, you know. And that guy was scared to death. He, he didn't know what was going on. Well, and he uh, he cried out in verse 7. I'll just, I won't read all this to you. But seven, eight, nine, right on down. Uh, there was a, he just said, the astrologers and all the wise people and and the Chaldeans and the astronomers and the soothsayers all come around, tell me what all this means, and they couldn't figure it out. They didn't know what was going on. Now, remember, the hand wrote it. Now, God doesn't need to have a pencil in his hand to write, you know. You know all he does is takes his finger and like that, and it is in there. It's just like he wrote the Ten Commandments on stone and came to Moses. He did it, you know. First time, second time, Moses had to write them. But anyhow, that's, that's another story. But anyhow, God doesn't need a pen. He just wrote it on that plaster. All these guys came in and they said, man, we don't know what it means. We have no idea what all this writing means and everything. And they kept on talking about Now, the queen, who was his mother uh, or his grandmother, it may have been his grandmother, which was the wife of, Bel- of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, verse 10, now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet room, house, And the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor thy countenance be changed. There is a man. Now, if you've got your Bible, underline that verse. There is a man. And then he began to talk to him about Daniel. There's a man that can answer your questions. And he can tell you what that means. And she goes on to tell him that there's a guy that told Nebuchadnezzar, your grandfather about his dream and this guy is right on target and the spirit of God is in him there is a man now folks let me say this today God will always have a man and I talked to all of our men here just for a moment today let you be that man that's why God has us in different places He has some guys working on one job here, another one working over there, another over here, another over there. Always be the man of God wherever you are. Whatever company you're in, be the man of God or a man of God if you're with brothers. But I'm just saying here, God will always have a man. If we don't stand up to that, God will have somebody else that will. I promise you that because he'll always have a man. Here was a kingdom that was full of and millions of people, but God had a man. God had a man. He was God's voice piece, and God would use him. God would let him speak what God would have him to say and tell the others. You know, see, God chose by Moses that he wouldn't always speak from heaven. And he, you know, he said, I'm going to give you the words and you speak for me. And from that time on, God has used men or and women too at times, really, I'm serious, but I'm using the word man as mankind. But God will always have somebody to speak for him. And I want to encourage every man especially. I'm talking about to the males now in this church. Every man in this church, be a man of God. Be a man of God. And when she says, there is a man. I I recall reading over in the book of uh, Kings, I think, 1st, 2nd Kings, where there was a, a a prophet by the name of Micaiah and they thrown him in jail and these two kings were trying to figure out whether they should go to battle or not against Syria and everything, and Jehoshaphat was one of those kings. He was king's out and he said, I'm not going to go until I, we hear from God whether we should go to battle or not, and then uh, and, and the other one was a, was a wicked king, and, uh, and he said, uh, I, well, I don't know, and he hum, hum-hauled around about it, and finally he said, there is yet one man. There is yet one man, and he would tell us the truth. So they brought Makai out of prison. And his wife said, what does that say the word of the Lord? And he said, I can tell you what the word of God says. You're going to go into battle, and you, you wicked king, Ahab, you're going to get shot and killed, and you're going to die in that battle. I'm going to tell you. He said, you see, this guy always speaks bad of me. Go back to prison. Put him back in prison. You know, he was that way. But it says, there was yet one man. Thank God there was a man. Praise God. Thank God there was somebody who would stand up. And I'm going to tell you, and I feel the Holy Ghost in telling you this this morning. We are living in a day and time and age in which we as Christians are going to have to stand up for the things of God and the Word of God and the truth of God and not just fold and, and roll over like Rover and, and just you know, and, and, and just play games you know, with, uh, because the world is getting more wicked every day. And we've got to stand up if you've got a family teach your children the truth don't be afraid to do that i don't care what all the schools in the world can teach what they want to teach but you teach the truth because the word of god is superior to everything else that exists and i'm going saying say are bad my, my daughters as you know is a principal of one of our elementary schools in this county and everything and she has a good school but i'm just trying to tell you here I don't care what happens. We need to always remember, teach our children, guide our young people. Young people need to be guided in their youth. They do need that. You, you know, I know if you look at the movies, you know, young people have always got the answers, and the old people are all old folky and they're just sort of stupid like and all that kind. Of, forget all of that, amen. They need praise the Lord to know what the Bible teaches, what's truth, what's right, what's what's not right, so that. And they, can, and they need to hear from you and I, praise the Lord, as, a, as parents, and in, in, my sta- in my condition, not condition, but in my state of life, uh, grandparent, praise the Lord. So I'm just trying to tell you here, and I just want to just sort of throw this out for what it was worth, verse 11. There is a man. So they called in Daniel, and Daniel came in, and uh, here's what he said in verse 21. This is uh, 521. Look at this. And again, I want you to look down at the bottom part of this verse. This is a long verse where it says, Till he knew, and he's talking here about his grandfather. Uh, look at down where it says, Till he knew. Everybody there with me? Till he knew that the most high God ruled in the kingdom of men and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. In other words, your father Nebuchadnezzar went through some things. Your grandfather And God had to reduce him until he understood that God was in total control and charge. Now, for whatever this is worth, in the fourth chapter of Matthew, when Jesus was in temptation, he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights without food or water. There's only two people ever done that, and that's Moses and Jesus, and Elijah was was uh, was the third one. And he fasted without food and water, but he, he ate food that was prepared by the angels in the middle of it and so forth. Only three people ever have gone 40 days without food and water. If you ever fast, you can fast 40 days. You can, there's people that's done that. But always drink water. Always drink water. You've got you've to have a divine something on you. And don't try to be like Moses, Jesus, and Elijah. <laughs> They're special in sight of God. Remember, they were the ones on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, his disciples were there, and there were two, there was Moses and Elijah that stood with him. Well, don't try to be one of them, praise God. I'm just passing that along for what it's worth. Jesus was fasting, however. He had fasted 40 days. Satan came to him and tempted him three times. Three times he tempted him. And he tried to get Jesus to eat bread, and Jesus wouldn't do it. And and then he tried to get him to, to, to do something else. He wouldn't do it. And finally, I'm going to verse 8 very quickly here. The last temptation, here's what he said. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and said unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Now that's what the devil promised Jesus when he tempted him, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And you know what? And Jesus always answered Satan with a scripture. And don't you ever forget that. Always answer him with a scripture. The word of God is the most powerful thing you have against the enemy. And in all of these cases, Jesus just quoted him a scripture. And here's what Jesus said in verse 10. And he said, then said Jesus unto him, get thee behind me, Satan. For it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve, and that settles it. Praise the Lord. But... What I'm talking to you about here is that Satan offered him all the kings of the world and Jesus knew it. Satan lied to him because Satan doesn't have control over all the kingdoms of the world. He lied to him. That's why when you read over here in Daniel, where we were just reading both chapters 4 and chapter 5, let me get back over to it. And he said over here, he said, remember... Whenever your grandfather, he was telling now, Daniel talking to Belshazzar, when he was talking to, he said, your grandfather till he knew that the most high ruled in the kingdom of men and that he appointed over it whomsoever he will. And Daniel also had told Nebuchadnezzar when all that happened, he said, to the intent that the, most, that the living may know that the most high ruleth over the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. God's in control of the kingdoms of men, not the devil. And when Satan said to Jesus, bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kings of the world, he lied to him. He didn't have the power to do that. And don't you ever let the devil lie to you. He's the father of liars. What has Satan offered you? What has Satan, you know, every one of us along the way, you know, the devil may have spoken to us about something offered us something or said something, whatever, you know. You know, that's what some people, they think if they sell their soul to the devil, they can have all kinds of things. That's wrong. The devil doesn't have control over it. He lies, folks. He's the father of liars. When he opens his mouth, he's a liar. When he comes sitting on your shoulder, he's lying. Everything about the devil is liar. And the way you answer him and say, thus saith the word of God. Hallelujah. You know, these rock stars, they'll say, he'll say to these rocks, oh, you're so. You're like God. You're so famous, man. Oh, look at all these crowds. Look at all these people. And the guy gets all bug-eyed, and big-eyed, and he's think, whoa, whoa, whoa. And you don't know, and he lived like the devil to please the devil because the devil's given him he thinks all these things. And then one day it's all over with. It's all over with. I was 40 years old when Elvis Presley died. So was Elvis Presley. We and I, we were the same age. we were both 40 years old. And he just kicked the bucket and he's gone. You know, you can you can go back through all through these people that, oh, they were somebody, they were really something, all of a sudden they're gone. Because, you know, That's just, if you want to live right and go to heaven, live for God, follow his word. His word will never fail you. I'm talking to him out from my heart today, folks. Because this guy, Belshazzar, uh, he he was such a smart aleck. And uh, he didn't just say, you know, uh, I got a big kingdom here, and I know I'm really somebody. But he said, you know what? What about these vessels in the temple (laughs) You think I believe in all that stuff? You think I'm going to respect God, you know, the God of the Jews, the God of Israel? I'm not going to respect him. And he drank out of it. And so whenever his knees were smiting, was smiting one against the other, and he was shaking all over, and the Bible goes on to say his countenance changed, <clears throat> he turned white as a ghost. All of his lord looked at him and said, "Boy, he just doesn't look like himself anymore. He looks funny." He looks like he's scared to death. You mean our great king looks scared and he's the king over everything? You know. Here's what it says here in verse 22. I'm I'm back in Daniel 5.22. Everybody stay with me. I didn't lose anybody, did I? All right. 5.22 of Daniel. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, in other words, God showed this and did this to Nebuchadnezzar, thou, his son, or his grandson in the true sense of the word, and thou, and thou, his son, Bel, o, o Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all of this, but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives, and thy concubines have drunk wine in them, and thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold and brass and Iron and wood and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know, and the God in this, in whose hand thy breath is. In other words, you have your every breath by his grace. And you and I must never forget that. We breathe because we have the grace of God upon us. Our heart beats because we got the grace of God upon us. We are alive and well sitting in this church here this morning because God's grace is upon us. Uh, Our lives are in his hand and that's what he was telling him. And the God in whose hand thy breath is. God holds your very breath in his hand. And whose are all thy ways hast thou not glorified? And then was the part of the hand sent from him and this writing was written. And this is the writing. Now here it is. You everybody ready for it? That was written. Mina Mina Tikal Euphorison. This is verse 25. Mina Mina Tikal Euphorison. This is the interpretation of the thing. Many God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tikal thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. In other words, you don't measure up uh, Belshazzar and, and Perez. Thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians, and that's the second kingdom that you see there, and he told them, thy kingdom is divided and given unto the Medes and the Persians, and look at the very last verse, and Darius the Median, he was the, he was the king of the Medes or the, the one over the Medes, and Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about three score and two years old, Now, we 62 years old he was, And uh, he came in and he took the kingdom. And uh, verse 30, let me read verse 30. And in that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain. The very night that he exalted himself, God allowed those Medes and Persians to come in. You know how they came in? The Euphrates River flowed through Babylon. Babylon was a glorious and beautiful city. If you've read about the seven wonders of the ancient world, the gardens of Babylon were one of the seven ancient wonders of the ancient world, and, uh, and that that river flowed, the Euphrates River flowed right through Babylon under the walls. The walls came down. In fact, there was more than one wall because Nebuchadnezzar had secured it by making more walls, and they came right down to the waters, the surface of the water, like this. Everything and the waters came under, but nothing else could get under, and they felt very secure in that. What the Medes and Persians did was to go upstream. And dig a long trench and a canal or whatever, out into the desert. And then at night, when this night came, they broke that thing through and dammed up the part that flowed on down into Babylon. And when they did all the water that was flowing into Babylon flowed on off, and it left two great tunnels under those walls. And the army of the Medes and Persians were just already gathered there waiting for the water to stop flowing. And when it did, they went under there. And instantly, they took over that place and conquered it and captured it. And they slew this guy, Belshazzar, uh, in all of his high-mindedness. And Darius was the one that took control. I'm only telling you that because God is in control of everything. Praise the Lord. Now, this thing about the Medes and Persians, it tells you right here in the book of Daniel that all of that, you know, happened and so forth. Now, here's an interesting thing. Isaiah prophesied that this would happen. He prophesied of it. Now, I'm going to show you here. I want you to go to Isaiah 13 with me for a moment. I'm taking time here to talk to you about this. Of course, God knows all things. And, folks, if we can just learn to say, God, we put our trust and our faith in you. And, folks, he is over all things. Praise God. And if you look at 13.1, the burden of Babylon, which Isaiah, the son of Amos, did see. Now, way 200 years before Israel was ever taken into captivity even. The Lord showed Isaiah that He would destroy Babylon, and uh, this is what He goes on to say. I'm going to read 13th chapter. Look at the 17th verse in chapter 13. I'm looking at Isaiah 13:17, and He goes on to say, "Here, behold, I will stir up the Medes against them, which shall not regard silver as, uh, and as for gold, they shall not delight in it." And then look at verse 19 and 20. And Babylon, the glory of the kingdom, the beauty of the Chaldeans' excellency shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. So this is a prophecy now, what would happen to Babylon. And it shall never be inhabited, neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation, neither shall the Arabs, the Arabians pitch tents there, neither shall the shepherds make their fold there. And it goes on to talk about how it will be a desolate place, wild beasts will live there and so forth. And that's the way ancient Babylon is today. That spot, that city at ancient Babylon is still there in total ruins. And it has been for thousands of years, for many hundreds of years, however long that's been. Uh, What, 1,500 years. So I'm just pointing out to you here, God's word, folks, is always on target. Let me show you one other thing, chapter 14 of Isaiah. Look at verse 4. That thou shalt take up this parable against the king of Babylon. This is, talking about Nebuchad- this is talking about Belshazzar now. And say, how has the oppressor ceased, the golden city ceased? Look at verse 9. Hail from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. Look at verse 11. Thy pomp is brought down to the grave in the noise of thy vials. The worm is spread under thee and the worms cover thee. I mean, he really lays it out here. And he goes on here to talk about many other things as well. Now, what I'm bringing out to you here is that this prophecy here is in the word of God. And God had already known that one day the Medes and the Persians would take Babylon. So whenever Daniel said to him in chapter 2, they are the head of gold. And after these shall arise another kingdom. It had already been prophesied in Daniel what kingdom would overcome the Babylonians that was there. Daniel may have known that, but he didn't tell Nebuchadnezzar that whenever he gave him the interpretation. And so the media Persian empire came into existence. Now, I've got about seven or eight minutes, about seven minutes. Uh, Let me talk to you for a moment about uh, the Medes and Persian empire. Because a very strange thing happened. This, if you go back to Daniel uh, chapter six, I believe it was where we were. And uh, if you look at it for just a moment, uh, this Darius, who was the king of the Medes, took power of the kingdom. It pleased Darius to over the kingdom and 120 princes, which should be over the whole earth. And Darius liked Daniel. He captured Daniel, and he knew he was a Babylonian, uh, Babylonian adviser to the king, and all that. And but he took Daniel under his wings. He liked Daniel and became a very good friend of Daniel. And he and Daniel became good friends and so forth. And uh, he only lived for about a year. He ruled for about a year, and then he passed away. He was 62, about 63 years old when he died. And in his place was a Persian king. Now Medes and Persians were together. He was a Mede, but the other was a Persian. The Persian king who came to power was a man by the name of Cyrus. Cyrus. And Cyrus uh, was called Cyrus the Great. And when Cyrus came on the throne, the first thing he said to them, all you Jews that want to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild your temple have at it. You know, I'm giving you the permission to go back. You're no longer, you know, captives. The slavery days all over with. Go back, and they weren't really slaves anymore. At this point, they had, they had become leading citizens there in Babylon. He said, you go back and rebuild the temple. And a man by the name of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, who was, uh, was a direct, direct descendant of David and was a direct forefather of Joseph and Mary, Uh, who was the uh, father of Jesus. I mean, Joseph wasn't, but by, you know, by, uh, what do you call it? Mary was his mother, and Joseph was his stepfather, I guess you would call it that. And so uh, he was a direct descendant in that line. And so Zerubbabel got all these people together. He was a governor, he was a great leader, and he led 50,000 Jews out of Babylon back over there. And not only did Cyrus say, you can go back, I'm going to give you money to go back. I'm going to do all of this. I want you to turn with me to the book of Ezra for just a moment. Ezra records all of this. And if you look in Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. Everybody's still with me? I'm not losing you, am I? But we're talking about now the Medes and Persians coming into power. And now this is Cyrus. Daniel is still in Babylon. Daniel is an old man. Daniel lives to be close to around around 90 years old. And, And at this point, he's about... He's about 88, 87 years old at this point, 87 years old. And, uh, and it goes on to say here in Ezra chapter 1, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord may be by the mouth of Jeremiah, may be but the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, that he may made a proclamation throughout all the kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith uh, Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven, hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem. Now God, he says, God has put this in my heart, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all the people, his God being with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is at Judea, at Judah, and build the house of the Lord? He's talking about rebuild the temple now, rebuild the heaven. And uh, he also said, he went on to say other people this can help out and give money and gold, i or, or give you permission and order you to do that. Look at verse 7. And also Cyrus the king brought forth the vessels of the house of the Lord. Now these were the things that, 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 that this wicked king, Belshazzar, tried to drink wine out of and got in trouble with God. Also, Cyrus the king brought forth the vessels of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of the Jerusalem and had put them in the house of his gods. Look at all verse 11. All the vessels of gold and silver were 5,400. And all these did uh, uh, Shashazar bring up with them of the captivity that were brought up from Babylon to Jerusalem. Now, I'm reading all of this to let you know here that not only did, did, did Cyrus say, go back and build the temple, but I'm sending you all of the things that we hauled away from there back so that you'll have all these things over there to do that. This is Cyrus now, the king that rose up, and God all of a sudden using a Gentile king. Now, did you know that was prophesied in the scriptures? Yeah, I want you to turn back over. To, I want you to go to Isaiah with me again. Look at Isaiah. This is interesting. I'm going over here to uh, to Isaiah. Uh, where is it? Let me find it here. Hang on a second. Isaiah 44. Look at this very closely with me. Isaiah 44. This is Isaiah prophesying 200 years before. Isaiah was saying this. This is 44:28. That saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built, and to thy temple, thy foundation shall be laid. Now Isaiah prophesied, God giving him the prophecy, prophesied about Cyrus. One day there would be a man by the name of Cyrus, and he would send Israel back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. It's prophesied. Look at verse 45, chapter 45, verse 1. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, he called him his anointed, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him. And I will loose the loins of kings to give before him the two leaven gates and the gates shall not be shut. And he goes on to talk about it in verse three. I'll skip verse three and we get to verse four because my time is just about gone. Verse four, for Jacob my servant's sake and Israel mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name. 200 years before he existed. I have surnamed thee, thou, though thou hast not known me. And when Cyrus came and became king, the Lord moved on that man and gave him a heart to say, you know, do this or this. Folks, let me say something. God's in control of things. Praise the Lord. You need a raise on your job? Pray and ask God to move on your boss's heart. I'm telling you, God can do all kinds of things. Pay your tithes. Be faithful in your tithes. I'm just throwing that out for what it's worth. Be faithful in your tithes and offerings. And I'm telling you, God can, he can, make it, he can make it happen. But he wants us to see us do our part. But God is in control of everything. And he said, I know this, he said, I've named this guy, I know who he is. And let me just leave one little story with you and I'm closing now. But during World War II, and I read this with my own, I read this out of the, the, the autobiography. There's only one autobiography, and it's, a, and it's a, not a very long one, from Winston Churchill. And I read the book. Winston Churchill says this of himself. And he, whether you know anything about him, he used to do half of his work in the middle of the night. And a lot of times in the middle of his bed, in his bedroom. <laughs> and the secretaries would come and go, and stenographers, people working. They hated it, but that's the way he operated and he'd sit there and he'd put out books and things all over the bed. and He'd work and everything. And uh, one night he couldn't sleep very well and he was restless and, and he was disturbed and he called for a Bible. They brought him a Bible and he read these scriptures in Isaiah 44, 28 through 45, chapter verse 1, about Cyrus. And then he read verse 4. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called thee by thy name and I have surnamed thee though thou hast not known me, how God would raise him up. And the Lord spoke to his heart, and and, and he writes this himself. And Churchill said, I knew when I read that, that we would win World War II. God was telling me, for my people's sake, for Israel, the Jews, who had been put in those concentration camps, and who were now being persecuted heavily in Germany and Poland and different countries over there, He said, in all of this, Churchill said, I knew that God was going to give us the victory, not for our sake, but for their sake, for the Jews' sake. And that's whenever he walked out the next day out in the streets of London, and he said, guys, stay with the plan. Stay with the plan, and boy, what a plan. And everybody would say, boy, he even bragged on the plan. Boy, what a plan. He just says, stay with the plan. Just keep on keeping on. God's going to give us the victory. And he became an inspiration to all of London. All of you who have studied all that, you know that. But I'm just trying to tell you here today, it was all because it came out of the Bible right here in the scriptures we just read to you. And God said, for my people's sake. Oh, hallelujah, folks. And you are his people today. We are his people today. Amen. God will, re- will bring his people back again in his favor but you're the church, the church of the living God. Don't you ever think for a moment that God doesn't love his people deeply, very much so then he looks out for us in all things. Let's stand together and lift our hands, and let's just praise him together right now. Jesus, we love you, Lord. We thank you. We praise your wonderful name. We thank you for your truth, your love, your word. We ask you to bless us all here today. Bless this congregation, Lord. Bless the morning service Lord, we ask you, Jesus, to bless our speaker mightily. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.